Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're listening to Garibaldi Red, a Nottingham Forest podcast brought to you by Nottinghamshire Live. Hello and welcome to Garibaldi Red, the Nottingham Forest podcast from Nottinghamshire Live. Uh, my name is Matt Davis, hosting as usual. And this week we're joined by freelance journalist and Reds fan, uh, returning to the show for the second time, Daniel Storey. Good afternoon, mate. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. You? Good. You were saying um, it's your week off and you're decorating. And or You're meant to be decorating, but you're working all the time. So um, we appreciate you coming on. Not at all, not at all. Glad to be here. Um... Let's get straight into it then. Uh, a busy uh, few weeks, particularly last week with Lamucci going um, and Hewton coming in. Uh, what was your take on it? I mean, the right choice in both senses to get rid of Lamucci and bring in Hewton, or were you fuming about uh, what happened in general? I mean, my take, not just with hindsight, was that Lamucci, I thought Lamucci should probably have left in the summer. I thought it was a huge ask especially over a shortened period of time to get rid of the hangover and change the mood. And I also suspected that we might go out and sign more players than we should. And therefore, maybe it might be a good idea to get, you know, a, a safe, secure manager to do that rather than one who might leave four or five games into the new season, which was no huge shock when that's exactly what happened. Uh, we're streaming on Facebook as normal, I forgot to say, so put your comments and uh, in the section below and some questions, and I'll put two or three of them to Daniel as we go along. And um, it's become the forest way to appoint a manager within about 10 seconds of sacking the last one. Uh, what, the Houston's appointment, the right man at the right time, do you think? I think potentially he's a, he's a safe pair of hands. He's a very good championship manager. You know, he's finished in the top four in his last four seasons in the division. He knows what he's doing. He knows his way around. That that's the positive spin. My worry is that is that Chris has always been most successful when uh, he's been at a, a club the, who's ha- well, a club who has reasonable ambitions, sensible ambitions, and a club that in which everyone is pointing in the right direction. And also, I think it's true to say at Brighton, he, he's tried to kind of reduce his squad size down to a, a, a small, tight knit group, which is all of which is pretty much the antithesis of, of Forrest in 2020. So my, my doubts is, is whether he can drag Forrest to where they, he believes they should be quicker than we can drag him down to where we've been for the last few years. And on that, I don't know. But I, I think he's a sensible appointment. Yeah, I mean, every Forrest fan... Uh probably makes the right noises in terms of, oh, I'd probably, you know, take a season where he pushes us up the table and not worry about promotion. And that's the prevailing mood a lot of the time. But do you think uh, patience is just something he's not going to be afforded and he's going to have to get two or three wins in the first six games? Because that's that's the club that we that we are in a sense now. I think Forrest is a, is a, is a, a basket case club, quite frankly. I think it's a club that, that other clubs in the league other clubs in the country look at and think, crikey, if they could only meet their potential, they'd be brilliant. And there is a sense, and I said it when I was on here before, that 
as a neutrals club, Forest are regarded very highly. But, you know, the league is, broadly speaking, the championship is a meritocracy and you get what you put in and you get what you deserve. And the reality is, is that we're in the position we are and we were under Lamucci both last season and this that we deserve. And the transfer activity is 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 its own separate entity. It's its own separate soap opera at the moment. But um yeah, you know, there's potential there. There's potential there for the club to fly up the league very quickly and, and challenge promotion, which it should have been doing with the money spent for the last few years. The question is whether you can get everything married together on and off the pitch to allow that to happen. And I thought that was happening under the new owners. I, I can't say I'm as sure sitting here now as I was when even last season ended. You mentioned about transfers. There's still time. I mean, we've had 13. There's a couple of days left in the prospect for any more players to come in. Do you think, uh, do you see more players coming in because Houston's going to want to bring his own people in at short notice? I think, well, Anthony Knockhart's been linked to who's, you know, Houston's sort of teacher's pet or has been and has got brilliant work out of him. Um, I mean, look, we went into this summer, to my mind, needing, um, needing a new striker, well, another striker needing a wide player and probably needing a right back because we were going to sell Matty Cash. And the reality is, is that we probably still need the winger, which is remarkable given that we've signed 12 or 13 players. But um, so, yes, yeah, I think he probably will look to get one, whether it's Knockhart or Harry Wilson or, or whoever. But at some point, there's going to be a, a, a large, large collection of, of pretty unhappy Forest fringe players, who were, some of whom we were signed this summer and now don't really know what the future holds. Uh, actually, people can answer this in the comments as well. Of the wingers Forrest have been linked with, Knockhart, Wilson, Atsu and Grzycki. If people want to say which one they want, I'll read some of those out. Um, what about you, Daniel? You know, It's a bit of a luxury to be able to pick one of those four players, but if you had a choice, which one would you like to see Forrest sign? Probably Harry Wilson. Um, Anthony Knockhart would be a, a Chris Hewton signing, which kind of would give me a jolt of enthusiasm in that at least it would suggest that his what he wants is being taken on board. You know, I know he's appointed as, you know, head coach or or manager, and that's the eternal question at Forest. What how much influence does the manager have? How much influence did Lamouch have over the signings this summer? So that would be a good sign, but he's not really been in great form for a couple of years. He was okay last season, but not in brilliant form. Harry Wilson is a star, to my mind. If he wasn't a, a, a big six club, I think he'd be starting every week in the Premier League for, for most sides. So, yeah, Harry Wilson for me. Uh, let's just read some of these out then. I mean, uh, it's pretty even split. Sean Lee, Wilson or Knockhart. Tom Faulkner, Wilson seems the best. Andrew Chard, Wilson or Knockhart. And I could go on. Uh, that seems to be the prevailing trend. Uh, let's ask a couple of questions from viewers here. Tom Faulkner, what can Hewton do with the players he has? The Moochie couldn't. Still got the same problems, lack of goals and too many mediocre players. Do you think there's too many mediocre players? There's, it's, a, oh, it's certainly an unbalanced squad. It's very bottom heavy, isn't it? A lot of defensive players and defensive midfielders. It is. Um... It is, but then you could say the same about championship clubs that have succeeded and got promoted in the past before the manager that got them promoted came in. The hope is that Chris Hewton does what he did at Brighton, which is ostensibly to create a, a, a far greater sum than the parts he, he inherited. And he did that through, often through tactical pragmatism, which was not something that Sabi Lamucci was, in the end, was was celebrated for. But that's 
partly because it stopped working. That's because Forrest started conceding more goals and stopped scoring virtually any. Um, Hewton is not a purely defensive manager. He's a tactical pragmatist. He's He would rather win 1-0 than 4-3, I suspect. But that's fine. You know, Forrest don't have the right to, to demand any more. And if that football is successful, then fans will be completely on board with it, I'm sure of that. Um, he will make us harder to beat, although the bar has been set pretty low in, in early season anyway. Uh, and I suspect he will, he will slightly oddly, I think he'll probably use pretty similar tactics to, to Lamucci's plan A, in that he will look to use Lewis Graben on his own up front to hold up the ball and midfielders to, to him to bring midfielders into play. Um, but he, he does have plan Bs and Cs, which uh, ultimately was, was Lamucci's downfall, I think. Yeah, I mean, where do you lay the blame for Lamucci's departure? Is it 95% at Lamucci? Do the players factor in? Does, um, pers- well, when you hear about interference in transfers and things like that, uh, where did the fault lie for what happened in the aftermath of that Stoke game? Yeah, I, I mean, I think the, the, the sacking became an inevitable part of his inability to, to address the slump, which, um, I suspect was was partly his fault and partly, you know, players who had been used to getting gritty results that their performances at times last season didn't necessarily deserve. And when that stopped working, you all kind of panic. But the manager's role at that point is to to both identify and solve those issues. And, and he wholly failed to do that. I think that's fair to say. And it didn't look like it was going to improve anytime soon. And we were beaten by... You know, we were beaten by teams who will not get promoted this season. Let's be let's be perfectly honest about that. Um, as, as for the interference, I don't know. But Forest is not an easy club for any manager to manage at. Chris Hewton is going to find that out um, because there, it, it constantly feels like everything is either built on sand or that there are so many different kind of machinations around the club pulling in in weird different directions and that's not easy to, to do. It's not easy to get players focused in those circumstances. The one thing I do like about Chris Hewton is he's a good man manager and I think momentum is going to be huge this season. It's quite easy to foresee that we could go on a run where suddenly the players do feel untouchable and we all think, well, hang on, managing Forest is really easy. Why did anyone have any problems with it? That's the, that's the dream. What's Hewton's first task then, do you think? You mentioned man management. Is it... Uh somehow work out who his best 11 player, players are out of 30, but not uh, piss off the other, you know, 19 or whatever. My maths is terrible. The other 19 who aren't getting a kick. Yeah, I mean, which is basically the impossible task because mm. you look at the squad and there's there's near enough around 30 there. Um, even with substitutions, you're still leaving 12 out of a match day squad every week. And those players still by and large train with the ones who are in the team and them doing that is is difficult because it is it, very hard to to uh, to keep those players in the team happy without allowing cliques to form which has happened at forest before uh that will be his first task but he will stress them i think that you know the positive spin on a big big squad is that you should have an extremely high amount of, of competition for places and that each of them, you know, it's a very, very much a cliche, but that everyone is starts with a clean slate and that anyone that impresses him will get in that team. If they, if they impress him in training, if they impress him with the, the, you know, the minutes they are afforded, they will stay in that team. And that has to kind of fuel this improvement in form, which let's be honest, the players don't want to be, you know, bottom three in the league either. They want to be up 
getting promoted to the Premier League, pushing for that. They remember how good it felt last season when Forest felt not untouchable, but certainly riding the crest of a wave. And and Chris Hewton has to kind of cherish that mood, that intent to get back there and, and harness it and, and turn it into something you know more than just an intangible. But we have to say that every other manager in the league is trying to do exactly the same thing. Yeah, I mean, uh, picking up on something you said earlier about you think Graben will still be the, the main man up front. You you don't see two up fronts and two wingers and that kind of change of approach. You think Hewton's going to be fairly similar then to Lamucci? At Bright, well, at Brighton, he, he, he adored, and until Glenn Murray's knees or legs started to tire, he adored Glenn Murray. He really did. He played Glenn Murray as a, a target man striker, Um which I think Graben can do in terms of holding up the ball. And then he, he insisted that he had three midfielders behind them to to push up and, and overlaps because if you don't do that, then that striker gets isolated pretty quickly, which I think is is probably what was happening with Lewis for at the end of last season and the beginning of this. So he whether it's knockout, whether it's just, you know, Joe Lolly and, and other attacking midfielders, you know, someone like, um, well... <laughs> You know, Luke Freeman, I guess, starts every game, but it's hard to pick that at the moment. But anyway, whoever starts needs to overlap from 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 Graben and then Graben then gets back into the penalty area to finish the chances, which it should be said he hasn't really done this season, but he has had those chances. That's the only kind of silver lining to the pretty dark cloud. Hmm. Do you think Hewton, um is going to be more willing, you've said about plan B and plan C, he'll be more willing than Lamucci to change it. Lamucci's plan to change things didn't seem to be tactical. It seemed to be to sign another player towards the end. Do you think um, Hewton might be a bit more uh, willing to admit when it's not going right within the game then? Yeah, I think so. I think he's probably better. To be honest, Lamucci's substitutions became pretty formulaic uh, and didn't really have, have much of an impact. And, the ones that did have an impact were generally when they were made very early on, which actually to me suggested that he probably didn't get the starting eleven right in the first place. And and bizarrely, because of all the players he signed, it felt towards the end like he still didn't know what his best team was, you know, 15 months or so after joining, which was a pretty good reason to get rid of him because you might as well have a new manager that doesn't really know what the first team is. Um, so, yes, I, I think he is more proactive. I think he's a, a more a more pragmatic manager. I think Lamucci surprised us with how uh, sort of safety first he was at times. Hewton is, as I say, he's, he's a pragmatist. He would he would look for clean sheets first. But given the situation Forrest are in, let's make no bones about it. We can't, we can't demand anything else in those early weeks. We should look to be resilient because resilience is a, is a you know, pretty healthy key to moving up the championship table. Uh, in terms of the players who have been in you know, the, the bomb squad, it was dubbed. There's a comment here from Owen Bailey about it. Does he think Zach Clough will be given a chance? I mean, I can't see Clough coming back, but there's players like Michael Dawson who have not played as much. Do you see players like that um, coming in a bit from the cold now? He does like experience, Chris Hewton. I think he would like a, a, a kind of leader central defender he, he he turned Lewis Dunk into a phenomenal central defender and a, a leader of that defence the same with Shane Duffy at Brighton um, and so you know I, it would be nice if Michael Dawson could do that we don't exactly know where his fitness at he's not played a lot of football in terms of players like Clough I mean if Hewton had a squad of 
22, which is what he always, or 23, which is what he always liked. Three goalkeepers and then two players for every other position. Fine. But, you know, Clough is behind arguably 28, 29 at least players. And it's very, very hard, even by impressing in training. It's very hard to, to push on with that. I don't really see that. With regards to the transfer policy in general, then, I know you had a thing on Twitter where you were keeping tabs of the numbers of, of what it was. And you, last time you were on here, you said about Scattergun. It kind of became that scene in Predator where they just open up their machine <laughs> on the jungle a bit um, in the last few weeks. Is that fundamentally, after this transfer window, does that have to change now for Forrest to, to be successful, do you think? Yeah, 100% it does. You know, I'm not saying it's impossible to do it that way because that can happen, but it would certainly be massively, you know, <laughs> against expectation and very much the exception rather than the norm. And you look at those clubs who have got promoted as well in the last few years, they are they have very different types. Sheffield United, it could not be more different. You know, one club uses the power of a super agent and contacts and a foreign manager and buys expensive imports. The others does it with kind of British blood and thunder and a, a phenomenal man manager. But they both have the same ethos, which is we're not just going to buy players for players' sake. Uh, we're going to buy players that we think can improve the first team. And if they won't improve the first team, then there's no point in them being here. I think Forrest have deliberately or just because, you know, through this sort of weird transfer addiction have, have done the opposite. They've signed players who, you know, with the greatest respect, even this summer, it's going to take an injury crisis for them to start more than 10 matches this season. And that, to me, is a, a foolish and deeply flawed way of going about it. Um, I, I'd, I'd be delighted if they proved me wrong, but I can't see it myself. No, they've signed a lot of players who are much for muchness, aren't they? They, don't, they? I can't think of too many signings who you would say, oh, he advances the squad. I mean, McKenna and Taylor and Arta this summer, but there's been a lot of uh, players on that list like Bashiru and Cafu. And you, how the hell are they going to get a game now? They might be good players or decent players, but um, it feels kind of fundamentally flawed. And do you worry it's going to block the path for young players like Brennan Johnson and Myton and things like that? I, I do. And, you know, it's a very hard balance for, for a championship manager because especially at a club like Forest, where, where patience has, has long been proven to be pretty in pretty short supply. Um, you know, I, I don't necessarily blame Lamucci because if, if, if he thinks, oh, that player might help and if we have an injury crisis, he might be better than, than a young kid at right back, let's say. Why wouldn't I sign a fourth right back? The it's not my money. The owner says he's happy to do it. So why wouldn't I? I, I fully understand that. I'm not laying the feet at Lamucci's door per se. But um, yeah, it does make it hard for, for academy graduates to come through. And at a time when we're not going to football matches and at a time when the, the club is struggling in the championship, that kind of connection to, to local born young academy graduates really matters you know it, it, it builds and retains the bond between supporters and the club and it would be a great shame if if you know we floundered this season and didn't play give it many minutes to academy graduates Alex Martin looks a phenomenal talent and I hope he gets minutes but it's, it's really hard to see how that happens if 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 things go as they are and we sign even more players and we're left with a squad of 31 or 32 players um, let's look ahead to Houston's first game then. Uh, Blackburn on Saturday, a, a tough fixture. You wouldn't think Blackburn were going to be challenging, but they're, they're flying. Uh, a, 
as hard as it can get in a sense, given the way they're playing for Houston to start first up? Yeah, I mean, the the, the good thing is that, that they made the change at the beginning of an international break. So Houston had a, a period of time with, with most of the, the first team squad to work with them and work on a plan. Um, it helps that, that it's his first game in charge and that Blackburn probably, you know, almost comedically would have known what to expect from a Lamucci Forest team because it was just Groundhog Day at the end. So that's a positive. And you would hope that there are players not necessarily yet playing for their futures at the club, but certainly playing for the chance to be part of an established first team because there's so many options. So, yeah, I mean, look, the patience is so short that as soon as any Forest manager loses their first game, everyone worries what might happen. But this is going to take time. It really is. I don't think Forest will get promoted this season. And I didn't at the start of the season. We might get promoted next season if they go about things sensibly. So let's just take a step back and, you know, let's see where we are in three months. And if we're safely ensconced in mid-table, then that's probably fine for now. Uh, let's just put a couple of comments up taking us to task over signings to present the other side of the picture. Dan Cook says, calm down, slagging off signings before they've had a game. No one heard of Sag, uh, Ribeiro or Silva. I don't think I slagged off signings, but I do question the, the volume of them. Uh, Owen Bailey, having a big squad is going to come in useful with seven games in 21 days, which is a fair point. They're going to need to um, mix and match. I think you can't play... Well, you certainly can't play Sao 46 times in a season, but you can't play anyone 46 times in a season. So that's um, fair enough. Uh, can we bring the league table up? We masochists. Yeah, there it is. For people who are watching, apologies, well, people who are listening on, not to see it, but Forest are 22nd on zero points and a goal difference of minus six. Uh, where do you think uh, there was someone asked earlier where do you think they'll finish how do you think this is going to pan out then um, Dan in the next few months they're not, you're not worried they're going to stay that low in the table are you? Uh, no um, although if, if our worst fears about issues like interference and um, you know a kind of for wazzing behind the scenes of, of what's going on at Forest <laughs> Uh, if they, if they, if, if any elements of those are true, then there's no, there's no flaw. Um, we shouldn't be arrogant enough to think that there is. Um, but no, I, I do believe that. I hope that Chris Hutton is. Well, I know he's a sensible bloke, so I hope that he wouldn't have taken that job unless he was fully sure that his idea of how things should work could become a reality. And if that's true, I think we'll probably be around mid-table in by. February, let's say, and then depending on how tight it is, he will hope to make a kind of late assault on the playoffs, the reverse of what happened last season, probably. But um, I, I would personally, I would be more than happy if we finished in the top, anywhere in the top 10, probably the top half, given how things have started. We'll uh, normally do these predictions at the end, but we'll do them now because I want to switch on to a topic soon. So if people want to give their Blackburn predictions in, I'll read some out. Uh, we keep a bit of a league table of guests. So uh, what's your prediction for the Blackburn game then, Dan? I'll relentlessly sit on the fence and say one or. That'll get them off the mark. That's something. Yeah. I will say one. I was going to say one all as well. Um, I don't think they'll win because, uh, well, they're not playing well, but they've got a new manager who's had a bit of time to look at them and Blackburn are a good side. So I would definitely take a point just to get going. Um Let's turn topics to the big talking point of the week uh, in the wider world of football, uh, Project Big Picture, which is a terrible name, uh, whoever came up with that. 
uh, you've written about it extensively, and we'll drop a link to your piece uh, in there. What are your general thoughts on um, Project Big Picture and what it will mean for the, the EFL and Forest in particular? I, I can see why EFL clubs, particularly in Leagues 1 and 2, um, are happy to, to take the deal offered because the reality is that football has been skewed against them Premier League downwards for so long that if you're a club like Southend United or Stevenage, you're you're not thinking, well, if we got into the Premier League, it would be hugely weighted against us. They're thinking we might not survive in six weeks' time. So I can see why they're going for that. I, I personally think it's a, a dismal idea for, for football because I think it is um, not not just a power grab from, from the biggest clubs in the country, but actually just a almost a flexing of the muscles. It's, it's wielding the power and influence they already have to say, we can save you. You know we can save you because we're offering you £250 million. Um, but just so you know, we aren't doing this out of the goodness of our hearts and we will manufacture a position of strength that we can never lose you know, ad infinitum. And that, that to, to me, erodes the element of competition, which is exactly what any football league or division should be founded upon and without it I think it slowly dies yeah I mean just to I should have given some background to it really I think the the crux of it is the EFL clubs get 250 million pounds up front to bail them out of you know the pandemic crisis and then 25 percent of further Premier League income down the line correct me if I'm wrong about any of this uh the the poison chalice part of it is around voting rights where instead of one club one vote in the Premier League the voting rights will be harboured around the big six plus Everton, West Ham and Southampton. Um, do you think, I mean, is, can it actually happen? Because I, I see Premier League clubs are kicking off about it, the other clubs. Does that put up a sufficient barrier or do you think that eventually money talks in a very cynical world? I think it will be rejected by those Premier League clubs uh, initially. The, the other important point to make is that the, the £250 million pounds is, is a prepayment so it will be deducted from any future yeah. payment made to the to the EFL and their clubs so it's not this is not for free this is just a, a kind of down payment from, from future deals and and it also doesn't mention the fact that Premier League clubs if they had that those voting rights and all that power could at some point in the future and probably pretty soon start to negotiate their own TV rights and at that point the EFL would have a separate deal from the Premier League and therefore wouldn't get any money at all. So, um, yeah, I think it will be rejected by by the 14. Um, they will face some pressure from the EFL, but I, I, I suspect it, th- that the whole plan was leaked deliberately to try and sort of smoke out interest from the EFL. And that at that point, it becomes a start of a negotiation tactic to work out exactly what does happen. But it's pretty clear that the big clubs are not going to give this, you know, give money away for gratis. And it's a it's a huge shame that that football is so already been so slanted towards them that they are the ones with the capability to kind of save the game. And the only way they're going to do it is by caveating it in their own favour. So what does happen now? I saw you you put together your idea for a plan. I mean, I was thinking it comes down to government intervention in the end, but the government is good at talking and doesn't actually do a lot a lot of the time. So how do we get the EFL clubs out of this mess, do you think? I mean, I, I, the thing I've, I've wanted for from years is, a, is an independent football regulator that sits outside of the Premier League, outside of the EFL, outside of the FA even, but just an independent regulator for the game. That, that, that would both decide the changes in the game at a macro level, but also 
be responsible for the assessment of, of the ownership of particularly EFL clubs and the overhaul of a or the creation of an ongoing fit of proper person test, not just a you pass through one hoop and then you can do what you want. That has to happen um, because um, let's let's not pretend that it's just the coronavirus that has decimated football league clubs. There were plenty of them already operating, particularly in the championship, at remarkable losses and on remarkable wage bills for this kind of desperate pursuit of the Premier League. And things have to become more sustainable. So I think it takes an independent regulator to do that. The problem, the quite the, well, the the big issue is is enforceability because you know I can have all those ideas and you know I'm not alone. Hundreds of people have got ideas and they're good ones, but the big to repeat the big six clubs already hold the power and if they say no then we'll we'll break away we'll form our own european super league you know you have to you have to call their bluff on that otherwise you'll never get the power back we disappointed in forest statements not far off fully supporting it or what did you make because you can understand why forest would be on on board but ultimately they do have the potential to be a top 10 premier league club down mm. the road. So, we, what did you make of Forest State on it? Yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't surprised. It kind of felt like a, you know, it wasn't a copy and paste statement, but it felt like a, a kind of very much a, a measured, standard reaction. I think from having, as they will have done, having sounded out interest, and it become clear that that plenty of EFL clubs are going to support the issue. It does disappoint me because it, it, it it's weird. It, it kind of accepts our place in in the football hierarchy, which shouldn't exist you know it should be a meritocracy at exactly the same time as we're throwing money trying to kind of almost upturn that hierarchy as it stands so it's a, it's an odd one for me um but i mean it might well be that forest are ambitious enough that they think well we will be in the premier league in three years time so we'll kind of get the you know we can get the benefits of this we can push on and become a big club it's not that long ago that wolves were were aiming to become a an established premier league club and they finished you know, seventh and eighth in the Premier League. So maybe it's over-ambition, but yeah, I, I wasn't surprised, I have to say. Um, you know, For- Forrester, a club that loses money and loses a lot of money pretty regularly, um, you know, consistently, and they have to find a way around that. It's a bit pointless, this question, but where do you think football will be in 10 years? Because, you know, we could all be scrounging around in the remnants <laughs> of the the cities of the world searching for food the way it feels like it's going this year but what's going to happen with with football do you think a european league's inevitable and league two clubs are premier league feeding clubs effectively or can we still have some hope that the the purity of the game that we all grew up uh loving is still there or am i just being relentlessly idealistic i I mean obviously the answer is i don't know but I, i suspect that the champions league uh in its current form probably won't uh exist i think there's a the champions league group stages have become uh you know tap-ins for for nearly every big club uh and that you know by by first eroding that competition you then kind of erode this you know that what makes the competition special and then it actually kind of perversely gives you more ammunition to say well this is broken so we might as well change it even though it was exactly the reason, you know, it was exactly that that shift in power to the biggest clubs that create, you know, that, that ruined the competition in the first place. So, yeah, I do think it probably ends up in a, in a Super League as horrific as that feels or as weird as that feels. Um, yeah, I, I suppose it, it does end in that, whether that's a closed shop and, you know, a kind of, basically it becomes a glorified version of a FIFA computer game or what, I don't know, or whether there's a promotion and relegation system to that, but 
yeah, it feels like at some point there will be some sort of breakaway because even if even if only project big picture happens and the power is shifted towards the top, if you're going to get the same six teams in the same six positions every single time, that quickly becomes you know, it quickly makes something like the Superliga a palatable option for supporters of other clubs because they feel like, what's the point in competing against them anyway? So does that mean, to your mind, a Forest 1978, a Leicester 2016, uh, uh, that's not going to happen anymore? Then we left relentlessly enjoying Man United, Man City, Liverpool, uh, whoever, winning the league every year now, do you think? The, the only way that one of those six teams... You know, the, the league winner doesn't come from one of those six teams is if a, another club is bought by someone equally as wealthy as them and establishes them there. You know, it's only 15 years since Manchester City were, were not one of those rich clubs. And it's only it's less than 10 years since they you know won the league. So things can change. I don't see clubs dropping out of that list. I think it just becomes a big seven or big eight or however many as clubs get bought by incredibly wealthy people and and. You know, without going to a a whole other subject, this idea of sports washing and states buying football clubs isn't going to go away. And if that happens, then clubs can jump their way into that elite. But it's not a top table that you get to by, you know, romance and merit and hard work and effort. It's it's one you get to with money. So what's Forest ceiling now, do you think, without being pessimistic? I mean, there's still every reason to think they can establish themselves in the Premier League, uh, I would imagine. But is there a certain threshold now for a provincial club then like Forest? Well, it depends how you go about it. I mean, Forest are not a particularly, you know, they're not exactly, they're, they're a very modern thinking club in that they want to throw quite a lot of money at quite a lot of players with the support of a few you know, the help of a few agents. So that that's quite, you know, they've got a foreign owner, they've got a very rich foreign owner. It, in some respects, Forests are one of those clubs. It's just that for whatever reason, we're not actually able to do the, the on-pitch bit and the, you know, the bits that actually matter, we're not getting right. If you get those right, we, we can do. You know, Forest will, I imagine, in fact, I know, have already spent more than Wolves did to try and get promoted to the Premier League. And as I say, they, they got to a European quarterfinal last year. So, I suspect that Wolves are, are the natural ceiling for every club that sits outside the Premier League that already has a, you know, a wealthy owner that's trying to pump money into that club. Forest ceiling is far higher than, than the majority of the championships is. It's just that our, our current performances and uh, the way we behave um, in terms of our, our business deals and our logic and our strategies are muddled enough that it's it's currently held us back below them uh a couple more um questions then from readers uh we'll go back to transfers quickly any ideas of the comings and goings before the deadline do you think forest can shift any of these players they don't want like let's assume it heffler bong uh clough players like that can they get rid of them because they're going to be on decent wages or a forest stuck with them now till the end of their contracts do you think I think they're probably stuck with them. And, and, you know, those players will become not hate figures, but will become kind of scorned by supporters for, for, oh, you're just picking up your money. You're not doing anything. But, you know, loyalty is a two way street. If, if Michael Heffley goes to a new club tomorrow for a significant page wage cut and, and breaks his leg in the first day of training, um, he will wish he'd stayed at Forest. And you can understand why he therefore wants to stay at Forest because you're a long time retired and Forest are remarkably good payers for the championship. Um, 
Uh, so I don't blame them. And I think they'll probably all see out their contracts. There might be a few mutual, you know, mutually terminated deals, but they will involve Forrest having to pay off a percentage or, and probably a significant percentage of, of what's left on the contract anyway, just as a, a, a means to, to end the relationship. But yeah, it's not easy. There's a reason why you collect a lot of players if you if you sign 12 every summer, because it's, it's a lot harder to sell them than it is to buy them when you're, you're prepared to pay high wages. Uh, let's go right back to the comments at the start. Um, John Hickman, who do you think should be captain? Obviously, Graben's been wearing the armband recently. A different manager comes in, he might see it differently. Do you think Graben might lose the armband? Yeah, probably, actually. I, well, I mean, I, he's done nothing wrong, but Huden has every right to change that. And he has traditionally had club captains as, as either central defenders or central defensive midfielders. The problem he has at Forest, certainly for the early weeks, is he might have to stick with Graben for now because who knows, you know, with so many holding midfielders and so many central defensive options that he can, unless he, 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 he spots it in training straight away, spots that Michael Dawson is definitely going to be in the first team, then he'll probably give it Dawson. But other than that, it's quite hard to pick out who's going to be in the team at the moment, never mind hold the armband. So he probably won't change things to start with, I wouldn't have thought. Um, it's an unnecessary change on your on your first day or before your first game, but yeah, he has every right to because there's not a there's not a natural leader that starts every game at the moment who is guaranteed to start every game. And that's a really difficult thing to have. Let's uh, head towards the finish line with hopefully some optimism. Although you don't think Forest can get promoted, where do you think they will finish this season? Yeah, the, my optimistic take, and I should it, this feels like it's been relentlessly negative for me, so I will end with that. Yeah, if, if Forrest can get in mid-table by January, February, Chris Hewton is exactly the type of manager that can get some momentum going. And this season is exactly the type of season that momentum matters because games are coming at a relentless schedule. So if he can do that, then, and we are upper mid-table in February, there's no reason why we can't go on a charge. And the best way for Forrest, I've always said this, the best way for Forrest to get into the playoffs would be to jump into them on the last day as a surprise. It really would. Excellent. Uh, yeah. And then hopefully go up. It's <laughs> that, that simple. It's that simple. Forrest and the playoffs are exactly that simple. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, thanks for everyone who watched along. Uh, we do appreciate it and put questions to Dan. Um, do you want to plug anything else since we've got you on for uh, on your on your week off? What's your Twitter handle if people want to follow you? Yeah, my Twitter handle's at Daniel Story eighty five. I should say I've got just got a new book out, which is written with Neville Southall about his kind of journey on mental health and uh, helping others and social justice and things. So if you want to buy that, I'd, I'd greatly appreciate it. And it's a very good follow on Twitter as well, Neville Southall with his uh, views. Mm. Interesting uh, and someone to look up to and admire. Right, so we shall be back uh, on deadline day, uh, just looking at what could happen. Uh, we'll just do a couple of short podcasts for that. And then uh, a post-match show after Blackburn and then a proper show next week. So do uh, uh, keep watching on YouTube and listening on iTunes. Our listening figures have gone up very rapidly. So hopefully you continue this trend, Dan, and I'll hold it against I'm you. Sorry to disappoint you. <laughs> no, we had our most views on YouTube last week uh, and really good listening figures. So we're grateful for that and grateful for any reviews. Uh, do join us again when we return. Uh, thanks for joining us, Dan. Hope you enjoyed that. Thank you. And we'll see you all soon, everyone. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to Garibaldi Red, a Nottingham Forest podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, then please let us know. We love hearing your feedback. 
We'll be back soon with another episode. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.